Hello and welcome to the first Bombasso episode of 2020 and it is episode number 20. Yes, we did not even try to make that happen, it just happened. That is how brilliant it is. Um, as you can hear, this is Alex. Uh, Lee is not joining me today, but he's hopefully coming back for the next episode, at least I hope so. Um, but I do have two brilliant guests because we want to give you a great first episode in the new year. Uh, Simra Hunter is joining me, who works for Lalia TV International, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Messi Dependencia at Barcelona. We're talking about Abelardo en Español, about Braithwaite in Leganés, and then she's giving some insight on Martin Adegard, who she saw at Real Madrid Castilla when she was working for Real Madrid TV and who she also interviewed this year for La Liga TV. Uh, more than that, we also I'm also speaking to Dani Mendes, who is the guy that you will see on the pitch and San Sebastian and in Eibar after Real Sociedad and Eibar games doing the interviews with the players. Dani is from Galicia, actually, from A Coruña. So we're talking about Depor with him and what has happened to this historic club who's now at the bottom of the table in Segunda. But we're also talking to him about Real Sociedad, of course, about Martin Adegor, about Alexander Isak and how the locals uh, are seeing our Scandies, as well as a little bit about Eibar and the current situation there. So there's a loads of great stuff in this episode and I hope you're going to enjoy it. But first out, here is my chat with Simra Hunter from earlier today. So welcome to Bombasso, Semra. How, uh, we're really happy to have you on. Uh, how are you? Thank you very much, Alex. I'm very happy to be here with you. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you as well and to all of our listeners as well. Uh, so to start with, maybe I should do a little bit short of an introduction. So Semra Hunter, who is our guest today, works for uh, La Liga Team International. You're based in Barcelona and you can see her in the studio, but also all around Spain interviewing <laughs> our favorite La Liga players, which is a job I think we are all very envious of. Um, so it's it's really great to to have you here. And it's, it's quite fun because last year you did Viva La Liga and I was on quite a lot uh, as a guest. Exactly. And it was a bit reverse roles. You were asking the questions. Now it's my turn. I'm getting my revenge. So that, that's going to be fun. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. I should be worried then. Let's see what you're going to try and pick from my brain today. <laughs> well, to to start with, I'm going to be a little bit, uh, bit mean and ask a question I haven't prepared you for. Oh boy. How was your... How was your holiday? Ah, it was great. Thank you very much. That's an easy question I can answer, at least. <laughs> it was lovely. It was lovely. I went home to the US. I got to spend time with my parents. Hadn't been back in about a year and a half. They kept me very busy. My mom is not one to sit still, so had tons of activities and a full itinerary planned every single day that I was there. So I didn't get to get much rest, but it was really, really good fun. And now we're back to work. How about you? I, it was good. I was back in Sweden. It was a little bit colder, but it was warm for being Sweden. I didn't see any snow. Uh, I did see a lot of family, so that was great. And as we said just, just before we, we started, that for us, both of us, Christmas is kind of over. Yeah. And then you get back to Spain and it's not <laughs> over at all because you have uh, Reyes Magos, which is actually today the King's Day where the, the kids in Spain get their presents. So the Christmas is full on still here. Uh, but let Let's get into it. And I think we should just start where the year kind of started in La Liga, which was with one of our favorite guys here at Bombasso because he's a skinhead. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's, it's, it started at Estadio Jose Soria in Valladolid with Real Valladolid against Leganes. I think it only took 13 minutes and we already had three goals in La Liga this year. So that, that's a great start to the year, I have to say. Uh, game ended 2-2, but the main guy, of course, was Martin Braithwaite. Of course. Who scored, scored off the only four minutes to become the first goal scorer of the year in La Liga. And to make it even better, I think it's the third game in a row he scored sixth goal of the La Liga season, making him the Dane with the biggest tally during a La Liga season in 24 years. And I looked up who had it last time, who or who has scored the most. Uh, it is from 95-96. It was... I have to really read this from a paper to remember. It was Ben, Ben Christiansen and he scored it for Compostela. Wow. So that tells, that tells you a bit on, on how far back it goes. But I wanted to, to pick your brains a little bit about Martin Braithwaite. How important do you believe he is for, for Leganes? I think he's massively important. I think you already highlighted some of the uh, impact that he's already had. I mean, let's remember they brought him on board on loan last January. And they decided to buy him in the summer. So he obviously was very important to them. They paid 5 million euros for him, making one of the most expensive signings ever for a club of their size. And let's remember, Leganes is a very small, very humble team. So that's a lot of money for a player um, that they put out for him. But it's obviously paying off dividends because apart from scoring goals, he's providing assists, he's creating a lot of chances, he's creating a lot of football. He's very well liked amongst the, the locker room. He's very well liked by the fans. And he's already become somewhat of a local legend. And the manager loves him as well. Aguirre, he speaks so highly of him. Just, I think, after that game where he earned man of the match, he talked about he was phenomenal in um, against Via the Leeds. I mean, he scored a goal. He also provided an assist in that game. He was phenomenal. He created, I think, three more chances that he could have scored. And I think he himself said he was very disappointed that he wasn't able to put away one of those goals um, by the end of the game to give Leganes those three points that they do really need to uh, get away from the relegation scrap as soon as possible. But Aguirre also said that he's someone who really could be playing for a much bigger team. And whenever your manager says something like that, you know that there's something special in a player like Martin Brathwaite. So it feels that, that the Danes and the Scandinavians shouldn't be too worried if and then Leganes would get to end up relegated because Braithwaite would probably get a, a pretty good deal somewhere else. I and, think so. And to, to go on. I, I think so too. He's been, it's been huge. I think he's been one of the, the light moments for the Leganes fans this season. Hmm. Uh, but, but speaking of it, Lega are still in the relegation zone, as you mentioned. They are second to last, I think, in the table. Yeah. Uh, and it's been, uh, they had a hard season last season before he came in at the, in January winter, uh, window. Um, and they are really having it difficult this season. But it feels kind of some, they got some of their fighting spirit back since they, they changed coach and Aguirre came on. Uh, what, do you think they have the possibility to turn things around and actually stay up? I actually do. I think of those teams at the bottom, they're probably the one that convinces me the most. Uh, Aguirre is is a wonderful man-manager. He's an expert at it. And that's what this team really needs because Leganes have a lot of quality. And when we often see them play, they're actually playing really good football. The results are just not coming. And so sometimes you feel a little bit frustrated and a little bit badly for them because you think, wow, they really deserved to take the win in this game or they really deserved a bit more from whatever the eventual uh, final result was. And I think the difference with Aguirre, what he brings to the table, as I said, as a man manager, is instilling confidence in his players, making them believe that they're important, making them believe that they're capable of doing more. And it seems to be showing 
on the pitch. I think you said it was like three games in a row that they won before the straw. I mean, they finished off the season or the 2019 very well, and they only seem to be getting better and better, and they're causing a lot of troubles for all of their opponents. And like I said, they're playing attractive football. So I do think that with time, over the next few weeks, few months, they will get out of the relegation zone. They're only one point from safety, so it's not a huge mountain for them to climb. And they are playing much better than I think the likes of Espanol, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, Celta, sorry to say. <laughs> and maybe, I mean, Mallorca is another one to worry about. But I think Leganes do have all of the credentials that they need. And they do have firepower in their boots and attack. They are scoring goals. They're starting to do, um, look a little bit better defensively as well. Overall, they're just looking a lot more solid. Uh and more confident in their performances. I think we're going to get a pretty interesting uh, battle at, mm. the, at the bottom of the table this season because it's not just that there... I think there's going to be several teams involved in yes. it, but I also think it's going to be several teams that are going to be fighting pretty well for it. Mm. Um, it it's, it's not like cut clear that this team is going out like you, you could feel with Huesca, for example, last season. It's... I think it's going to be all the free spots going to be a bit of a fight for, especially with new coaches coming in. Um, and as you said, we're going to get to Espanyol right, <laughs> right now because from one relegation battling team to another, uh, we're going to the team very last of the bo- bottom of the table, but with a really good start to the new year because they, I think that would be probably the most interesting game of, of the first uh, match round mm-hmm. uh, of 2020 it's not the first match round obviously of the season because we're in the middle of it <laughs> but with uh, Espanyol taking on on Barcelona and it ended in in a quite surprisingly I have to say 2-2 draw uh, Espanyol getting there a new coach uh, on uh, in Abelardo but before we jump in to talk about Espanyol I want to talk a little bit about Barcelona okay. uh, it's Another struggle for them at the new year. It's something we've seen happening to them before. Valverde is under a lot of criticism. But what I want to ask you about is something that we have chatted about before. So I find this interesting, (laughs) your view on it. And it's about Lionel Messi. He's obviously, I think we can all agree, the best player in the world. Uh, Might even be the best player of all time. Um, and, And we're all amazed by him. And there's a lot of talk about the Messi dependency in the in Barcelona, the dependency of Messi from a few seasons ago uh, and now as well. What is your take on that? <laughs> well, I think there is certainly a case to be made and that argument definitely does seem to bubble up to the uh, top as soon as uh, things start to go awry with Barcelona and things start to not go their way and they don't start to bring the results that fans want to see. And because as we know, Barcelona fans are incredibly, incredibly demanding. They want to win all the time. They want to win with pizzazz, with flair, with elegance, with their style of play uh, and not just win in any way, shape or form, which is sometimes what happens with Valverde. I do think that there is a case to be made absolutely for Messi because, of course, when you have the best player, as you said, not just in the world, but maybe ever, when you have him on your side, then I think everybody does naturally look to him as a leader on the pitch and off the pitch to make sure that, you know, he's carrying most of the weights, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. But I think there is also an argument to be made that they're starting to rely now on the MSG or Messi, Suarez and Griezmann, not just Messi alone. We have seen uh, times whenever Messi hasn't been able to be on the pitch where they have been able to uh, deliver uh, the results without him. Not all the time, but some of the time. And between the three of them, they've scored 31 
of Barcelona's 49 goals. So I think that's the concern is that whenever they do play well together, uh, if one of those pieces is missing, then there's nobody really there to kind of back them up and to support them in terms of uh, providing those goals. Because, for example, Dembélé, been out injured. He comes back, gets injured straight away again, so you can't rely on him. Carles uh, Pérez, also, he's not really been playing very often. He's not somebody else you can really rely on. So there's not too many options in attack, really, Um I think you have Arturo Vidal in midfield who's scored six goals and still starting from the bench most games. So you're not getting a lot of options uh, to really help them in, in that line of work. And I think it doesn't help that Barcelona defensively are very weak. I think they've conceded, how many goals is it? 23, I think, uh, which is the worst amount of goals that they have conceded by match day 19 since 2003-2004. So the more you can see, the more you need to rely on people scoring goals up top if you're going to take anything from a game. And we have seen that that defense, that weak defense, that shaky defense has cost them a lot of points, especially on the road this season. They've been great at home. They haven't lost a game at home this season, but they've been very irregular whenever they travel. And they have dropped, I think, at least six points in draws. Osasuna is one of the most that uh, sticks out in my mind. Um, I can't remember other ones off the top of my head. But yeah, I definitely think that they do rely on him to step up whenever they need him most. And Messi also kind of decides when he's ready to play, when he wants to turn things up a notch and when he doesn't. And so sometimes we can see him disappear, float around for maybe 80 minutes and then turn things on for about 10 minutes and, and resolve a game by himself. Um, but it is a concern for them. We all know he's not going to be around forever. Whenever he picked up his six Ballon d'Or, he even said for the first time, and I think really shaking everybody to their core, not just Barcelona fans, but football fans everywhere, that retirement is something that is inevitable and is sooner coming sooner than he ever would have expected. So they do have a very big problem to fix, which is to figure out what's going to happen when he leaves eventually and they need to start preparing for that and right now it doesn't look that convincing even though they're at the top of the table they're level on points with Barcelona uh, with Real Madrid sorry um they don't look like convincing leaders and I'm not entirely sure that they'll be able to make it to the end of the season as the outright winners and champions once again yeah, and I feel also with uh, the, the thing that you said with the retirement of Lionel Messi, it's quite scary in a way <laughs> and sad to, to think that we're now in the decade know. where Lionel Messi is going to stop <laughs> playing football. It's the thing we don't talk about, right? It's like... It's the thing we don't talk about. <laughs> what you don't say. It's like Voldemort and Harry Potter. He who shall not be <laughs> <It's> named. Like, <laughs> the retirement that shall not be exactly. talked about. <laughs> the retirement that shall not be discussed. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's just pretend that he's never gonna quit playing football the same with Joaquin exactly it's like these kind of players that talking about Joaquin this is not on our agenda but I just have to say that the the video that they did for uh, for him renewing his contract if you haven't seen it we'll, we might post it on on the the Twitter account if I remember we're really bad at it <laughs> but <laughs> it's not all <laughs> <laughs> 
exactly. It's, it's this really good uh, presentation video of him renewing his contract where they do this really long video that is basically Joaquin saying goodbye to Betty's, leaving the, the dressing room, going up on a helicopter. They even got a helicopter for this video, <laughs> which is amazing. And like there's almost tears in his eyes and he's talking about everything he's done about this. And then like in the middle of air, it's like, or maybe if I do the math, I might be in the best form of my career. Now let's let's turn it around, and then he lands at Benito Villamarín and uh, reveals that he's signing a new contract. And then they do that entire presentation of uh, like you do when you sign a player, having people coming to the stadium of Joaquin signing his new contract, which is amazing. But it is kind of mean from from them to do that when no one wants Joaquin to retire. <laughs> they, they put that out. It's like like Barcelona would do that with Lionel Messi, like. This is the last year of Messi. Just kidding. No, it's not. But that's the beauty of it. I bet this, like, you know, like Alex is saying, if you guys haven't checked out their social media, you need to this season because by far they are the best when it comes to social media posts. They are so creative. They are so much fun. They're so entertaining. Absolutely brilliant. They blow everybody out of the water. They're doing it great. And they're not going overboard like some some uh, social media right. club accounts are doing. They, they're they still kind of keeping it quite professional. And, and that video was by far the, the best they've done. It was so well made, all of it. But anyway, let's go back <laughs> to, Espan- to Espanol Barcelona and what we were talking about, this Barcelona derby, which ended 2-2. Uh, and let's talk about the home side, about Espanol. They got a new coach. This was the first game of Abelardo. Mm-hmm. And as I think... A lot of people remember he did miracles with Alaves. Yep. When he became the Deportivo Alaves coach, if I don't remember wrongly, Alaves were very bottom of the La Liga table. They were so bottom that some players straight out had said that they basically had given up because you know they were they were already thinking about next season what teams they were going to sign for because Alaves were going down. It was it was that, match day fourteen and they had nine points. So yeah, you can just see the desperation already a third and into the season. <laughs> that, that, that's the situation Abelardo came into there and he turned it around. And then the next season they were fighting for European spots. And now we're kind of a similar situation, I say, with Espanyol, where they not at as few points, but they are at the bottom of the table. They are the team that I think most of us feel most secure that they're probably going to be relegated. Hmm. They have been... Not impressing at all. And now Abelaru comes in. First game, they draw 2-2 with with, uh, Barcelona. Is there a chance that he can do another miracle, do you think, and turn things around for Espanyol like he did at Alaves? Well, I certainly think that he's the right man for the job. He's absolutely an expert in these situations. We saw in 2015-16 what he did with Sporting. He was brought in to save their season, and he did, even though it went all the way down to the very last day of the season. He still managed to save them. And then, as you say, he went to Alaves. He worked... A miracle. They won six games in a row as soon as he started and then drew the seventh. And with that, they were already thinking, oh, okay, we're saved. That's great. So achieved, you know, their goals. They went on, as you say, to do a fabulous start to the next season. By December, I think they were third on the table or at least in the top three or something ridiculous like that. I mean, they were blowing everybody's expectations and completely overachieving. And unfortunately for them, we saw them lose two of their most important players in that January window where they went on to different teams and it dismantled their team. And they started to go downhill after that in the second half, but they were still good enough to stay up and they're still here this season. Um, 
So he is obviously the right man to go to. Now, I know Espanol were looking at Pizzi as a possible option. They obviously were looking at Pochettino, somebody that they would love to bring in because born and bred, Espanol through and through. Um, I think the fans would have loved to have him as well. But Abelardo really is the right kind of profile for this specific kind of situation. And we saw the immediate impact that he had against Barcelona um, with the team. He changed the system. As we know, Machin likes to play with three central defenders. And he went for a much more defensive-minded um, approach, which is not something that Espanyol needed because they needed to be scoring goals and, make, and getting wins because they've only won two games so far this season. They have 11 points. Um even though they're only four from safety, it's still a huge mountain for them to climb in terms of uh, of the football that they're playing. As you say, they've been really quite terrible, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. But to their credit, they did lose so many important people over the summer. They lost their, their manager, Ruby. They lost Borja Iglesias, who was scoring all of their goals. Um, they lost Hermoso. Hermoso, exactly, in central defense. I mean, they lost their main pillar, their their spine you know, uh, and it's been really difficult for them to manage without those players this season because they didn't bring in any replacements. So um, I think that Abelardo has done well with what he has so far. He's gone back to four at the back and he went for much more of an, uh, an offensive approach in this game and it certainly paid off. And that first 45 minutes against Barcelona, they were the far superior side. They absolutely deserve credit for that draw and for that performance. I mean, they lowered a little bit their performance in the second half, but they still deserve all the plaudits and the praise for what they did uh, in that Catalan derby. But what they really need to do now is look to the to the winter transfer market window and see if they can bring in somebody who can start scoring goals for them because they need it badly. I think, I think you're pointing out the main thing with Espanyol there, which is the squad, because I felt already last season, before the season started, that Espanyol had one of the weakest squads mm. in La Liga. And I was truly amazed with what Ruby did with that and managed to get them a European spot at the end of the season, where the free keys, I think, was uh, Marc Roca, uh, who's still at Espanyol, but then Borja Iglesias and Hermoso and the three of them. And you could see that when one of them were having an off day, uh, or weren't playing, they were directly dropping points. Exactly, and they lost lost two of of those three players, uh, and still, and that was already what I considered last season probably the weakest squad in the entire league, um, or maybe not entire, but almost. And then you go into this season, and as you say, there is no no new players really coming in. There is important players losing. You you drop instead. Mm. So the transfer window will be be really immense for and important for for Espanyol. Uh, but with Abelardo, you can't really say that it's it's done exactly. because we've seen what he's done before. Uh, but I I see still see it even though they have Abelardo, it's going to be really difficult for us by all. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. But what was interesting with this game as well is that we had the team that is lost in the table. I guess the team that is top of the table, mm-hmm. and we have a two two draw. And in a way, it's shocking, but in a way, it's not really shocking right. because that's the kind of things that are happening regularly in La Liga. The bottom teams shocking the, the top teams. And it's, it's like become so regular that these kind of things happen that it's not really shocking anymore, I would say. Would you consider that this might be the most even La Liga season that we've seen in, in modern time? Um, definitely. I think last season as well needs to be part of that conversation, but I think it... It certainly is really exciting to see that finally La, La Liga does seem to be becoming much more even in a way. Um, and as you say, a lot of the bottom side teams are beating 
teams at the top of the table. Everybody is capable of beating everybody. And that's not something that we're seeing across Europe in other leagues. I mean, in the Premier League, I don't think that happens as often. I think in, in Liga, that's not happening. In the Bundesliga even, I don't think it's as, as common an occurrence as it is here in Spain. And I do think that the quality is definitely... Um, uh, what could I say? That there's a lot more quality basically all throughout the division than there are in other leagues. Um, and it is hugely exciting. I mean, Barcelona, Real Madrid, they only have 40 points. In the past, they probably would have had about 60 points by now, you know? And it certainly is keeping things tight at the top of the table. It's keeping it a lot more interesting. I think there's only about 10 points between the top six or seven teams. So even though... Maybe it's a two-horse race in terms of the title race itself at this stage. I think Sevilla are about five points maybe behind them right now, um, maybe a little bit more. But uh, it still is very entertaining to see who's going to take those last two bursts in the Champions League positions as well as the two in the Europa League positions. And it really could go anybody's way, just as we're talking about the relegation battle, how there's quite a few teams that are in the scrap at the moment and will be throughout the remainder of the season. It's just as tight and entertaining at the top half of the table as well. So it's uh, it's really good fun. And I also think because it becomes quite interesting because normally in a relegation battle, for example, or in a European battle, you have to beat the teams that are around you. Exactly. But because La Liga is the way it is, you can lose those games, but then you defeat Barcelona or you take points from Atletico de Madrid or, or something like that. And you kind of get those points anyway. Right. So it, it doesn't become as black and white exactly. as it, it would be in, in other seasons. But you can't take anything for granted. You can't know your rhythm in, in any game or your level of, you know, competition or anything. I mean, look at what happened with Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad, they took an early lead. I think it was 22 minutes in. William Jose this weekend scored. They were in complete control of the game against Villarreal. And they just kind of assumed, okay, 1-0 lead. We go into the half. Things are under control. We're playing at home. Things are good. We're one of the best sides of the, of the season. And all of a sudden, just like that, when you start to relax even a teeny tiny bit or your confidence grows a little bit too much, Villarreal come back, two goals, and they win the game. Exactly. And we're seeing things like that happen over and over and over again. It doesn't matter where these teams are on the table. And I also think that because it's happening so often, it makes it happen more often. Exactly. Because the small, the small teams know that it can happen. Exactly. So they go for it more. It's a lot of fun. Oh, Granada beat Barcelona at home. <laughs> Mallorca, Mallorca yeah, got away exactly. as well. And Mallorca like, beat Real Madrid at home too. So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal. It's, it's how it goes. No, but you went into Real Sociedad a little bit. So now we're going to go into what this podcast is kind of about. Not really, but still. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be about the Scandies. So we have Martin Odegaard, who keeps on taking the headlines in, at the Real Sociedad, even when they, they lose. Uh, Daniel Vaz had another assist this weekend and is doing great at Valencia. We have Martin Braithwaite, as we said, can't stop scoring goals. And even though Alexander Isak didn't get a goal this weekend, he's been on the score sheet quite a lot lately as well. And at, here at, here in Vigo at Celta, it feels like uh, Pione Sisto has kind of woken up from his, his slurm. So here is the big question for you, Simra. Who is your favorite Scandinavian in La Liga? And what Scandinavian have surprised you the most this season? I bet you probably know who I'm going to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I'm going to go with Martin Odegaard because I think... Oh, really? Oh, really? Did, did, did you think that's what I was going to say? <laughs> I can't tell if that's a genuine surprise or not. <laughs> but um, he's just been so phenomenal this season. Um I think to everybody's delight, he's really taken the league by storm. You know, he's been gone on loan for the last two seasons. He's back and straight away he hit the ground running. The first full month of the campaign, September, he picked up the MVP award. And he's just carried on with that consistent form all the way through until now. As you say, even when the team is not playing well and uh, they're not winning, he still stands out above the rest and he's still a step ahead of everybody else. And he's still the best player on the pitch just about every single game. He's matured. He's developed. Um, You know, I remember whenever he came, I was at Real Madrid TV whenever he joined Real Madrid when he was 16 years old. And there was so much hype about him and this teenage wonder kid. And I think there was so much pressure on him to be this unbelievable talent that he was and is but I mean he's 16 years old he's a kid and they had this deal where he would train with the first team but play with the second team with Castilla and so he didn't really fit in either place he was kind of living in two worlds and I think it actually worked to his detriment and that's why he eventually left to go on loan to really grow and develop and it was the best thing he could have done because now he's back He's matured, as I said. He's really grown up. I mean, he's 20 years old, but he seems like a really mature 20-year-old. I mean, like he's older than he actually is, if that makes any sense. And he's grown into this leadership role, and he's really flourished in the leadership role. I mean, he doesn't just score goals, but he's also providing assists. He's got beautiful football in between his boots. He's creating uh, a lot of chances. He's linking up incredibly well with his teammates. Um, he's very creative. He's very intelligent. He can read the game brilliantly. He can even defend. I mean, there's just about nothing that he can't do at this stage. And to think that he is only 20 years old, I mean, my God, the future is going to be terrifying, (laughs) especially whenever he one day goes back to Real Madrid. I mean, even I think it was on December 28th, which is kind of like Spain's um, April Fool's Day. They, uh, the club, I'm sure you saw this, the club put out a uh, official comunicado, like a, um, like a press release, that he was going on loan to Manchester City. And it seems, you know, at first you're like, what? what is this? What's going on? Like this kind of came out of nowhere and you keep reading and reading and reading. And then you get to the very end and you realize, okay, it's a big joke. And it says that the reason they've decided to make this really difficult decision is because they just can't handle all the mediatic attention and press that they're getting (laughs) from him being so brilliant each and every week. So it was just better for the club if he moves on for six months. And I mean, the fact that they would choose him as the topic of their joke, you know, it just, it says everything about who he is and what he brings to this side. And uh, speaking of that, you had a sit-down interview with him earlier this season hmm. in San Sebastian. And I didn't pick what, him what because that of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you picked him just to put extra media attention on him because he, that's what Real Sociedad doesn't want, according to their jokes. Uh, no, but what, what was what was that like? And, and how is he as a person? I've also met him, but, hmm. but getting your perspective. I think he was lovely. I think he was really polite. He was well-mannered. He was very shy, um, very quiet, you know, a bit timid. But um, 
once you kind of get him going and you open him up, like he's quite happy to talk and he, he, he was spoke very freely about very personal things as well, which is very nice. Um, but he genuinely seems to be so happy to be back in Spain. I think that's always been his goal is to be here. And he's made it very clear. He wants to be at Real Madrid and there's no doubt in my mind that he will go back sooner or later. Um, but I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, like I said, it, it was funny to see him when he was 16 years old. And then in front of me, it was like this fully grown man all of a sudden within four years. And he was like a completely different person. But he was a delight. He was an absolute delight. And I'm so happy for him that everything is going so well. And he certainly worked hard enough to earn everything that, that he's achieved so far. We're, we're not going to go on more because we babbled quite a lot. But it's been really great to have you on. And I don't think anyone of us have missed Lee at all. Because we have somewhere <laughs> Don't tell him that. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. <laughs> we miss you, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> we always miss Lee. Uh, but that's a, I think it's a good start to, to 2020. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. So much fun. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Lee, for being busy, doing work and not being able to come on to talk to Alex today so that I could do it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure we will have you on more times. Wonderful. Uh, it's been great. It has. It's been Thanks fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Miss Queen of the North. <laughs> yes, Miss, Miss Queen of La Liga TV. Thank you. <laughs> Speak soon. Yes. And now let's uh, go on and listen to my conversation I had earlier today with Dani Mendes about Depor, Real Sociedad and Eibar. Welcome uh, to Bombazo, Dani. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Hi, Alex. Uh, first of all, thank you for considering me uh, for this podcast. Uh, for me, it's a pleasure to be here with, with you talking about La Liga, about Deportivo, Real Sociedad. So to just give our, our listeners a short presentation as well before we start, I have uh, Dani Mendes with me, who is from A Coruña in Galicia. He's a huge Deportivo La Coruña fan and has also covered Depor a bit and is now living in San Sebastián covering mainly Real Sociedad and Eibar, a little bit of Sasuna as, as well, I think, for for Spanish TV. So we're going to get some really, really good, good info. So thank you for, for taking your time to be with us, especially on today when it's uh, Reyes Magos, which is a festivity in, in Spain. So I'm very, very happy that you're taking your time from, from your, I guess, very busy festive schedule. No problem. I'm very happy to stay with you. Brilliant. So first off, we're going to start talking about Deportivo La Coruña because normally we talk mainly about La Liga, but I think it's a very interesting uh, subject because Depor is a historic La Liga club and what is happening with them right now is quite interesting to try to to understand. Uh, so to give a little bit of background before we go into it, uh, I think a lot of people remember Super Depor who won La Liga, beat Barcelona, beat Real Madrid, won the Copa del Rey at the Barnabeu against Real Madrid, beat AC Milan in, the, in Europe and almost made it to Champions League final. Well, that same club is now lost in the Spanish second division and in a lot of debt. So I, I realize it's a quite complex situation, but Dani, can you try to explain a little bit to us 
what has happened to Deportivo La Coruña? Well, as you say, it's a very complicated situation to explain. It is true that Deportivo carries an historical debt from its success years ago. And from there, it is a drop without end. There are convulsing years in all aspects, football and social. Last year, Depor stays within a goal of promotion against Mallorca. And this year, a very poor team was created by Carmelo del Pozo. The inertia of continuously losing and the lack of leaders in the, in the team uh, make uh, this situation. Uh, this Christmas, the situation seems to have uh, a little bit changed. Uh, there are have uh, new changes in all, situ all in the institutions, new president, uh, new manager, such uh, as Fernando Vázquez, a Galician historical manager uh, closely linked, linked to, to Deportivo, and also new players like uh, Emre Cholak, to come back. Uh, the hope is, is back and the last two victories invite Deportivo supporters to, to believe. And is it fair to say that the, the crisis that Deportivo is, has been in lately, does it reflect or to say, is it fair to say that the success that the club had in the early 2000s have also in ways resulted in this crisis that we have seen uh, as, as of late? Did, did they dream a little bit too far, maybe? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Deportivo lives uh, beyond uh, his mean for many years. And when it was left without uh, going to the Champions League, uh, they lost some significant income. Uh, the goals, the objectives of the, of the club uh, changed. And from five teams for La Liga, they want to fight for relegation. The level of, of the players dropped. Important players like Mauro Silva and Frank retired and Deportivo began uh, a new era. It was not easy for the young supporter of the team because they only knew a winning Depor and had become accustomed to living on the, on the top of the table. Because of the side of the city and the history of the, of the club, uh, it is expected to be in the first division, not fighting for titles, but being there. Uh, that is why the current situation is critical. And and if we look a little bit at the the past president, who is not the president anymore, but used to be the president of Deportivo, uh, Augusto Lendorio, I think that's mm -hmm. the way you say it. Uh, <laughs> my, my Galician and Spanish isn't the perfect answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, he was in, in many ways the reason to why Depor managed to do all of this success, win, win La Liga and all of these things. But could you also say that he in in ways was responsible for, for the crisis that, that ended later because they used more means than they had. Would, like from, from your perspective as someone who is a Depor fan, who's followed Depor, is Lendario for you a hero in, in Depor sense or is more of a villain? It's, it's a bit difficult to, to see what, what side you... It's difficult to say. Lendoiro, Augusto Cesar Lendoiro, is responsible for the best years in the history of Deportivo, but he is also primarily responsible for the club's financial problems. Lendoiro was always ahead of his of his time, able to to travel to Brazil to see players, to come up with strange clouds in in project uh, in player contracts. Uh, 
he's an an inspiring person, but he did, did uh, things wrong in his last years. It's hard to say if he's uh, the hero or the villain. Uh, he has a lot of hero, but also has a, a lot of villain. And if uh, if things go the worst possible way and Deportivo would end up being relegated from the second division and go down to the, the third Because even as you say, things are changing a little bit. They are on very, very few points and very far down uh, on the table at the very bottom. What would happen and what would it mean for for Depor if they got relegated? Many people say in La Coruña that if Deportivo is relegated, it could disappear. And that is not the case. Uh, The new president has reached an agreement with his big creditor. So the club will not be uh, disappear. If the club is relegated... He will have to fight desperately for promotion in the upcoming years. Football does not does not wait and does not forgive. Deportivo will be the the best team in the third division, and it will it will have to be proven. And you've already been a little bit on it before, saying there's been changes. So, what is there a way out for for Depor out of this situation? Do you think they they will be able to manage to stay up in, in Segunda? The, sol- the solution is to win matches one after the other. Uh, football. Uh, forget the past, uh, which is, is very heavy. Uh, focus on the new goals, the new objectives, and try to, to achieve them. Uh, with the arrival of Fernando Vázquez, the hope and the connection with the supporters have returned. Salvation is only four points away uh, following the, the last uh, victory. There are still 20 uh, matches left to play, so there is time. It will not be easy because the, the bulk of the of the squad is going to be the same, but I hope uh, they can do it. And I guess also what speaks in, in for Depor is that it's the Segunda División where the results are crazy hmm. and anyone can beat anyone. And we've seen before that a team that is in the bottom at the first half of the season might end up being in, uh, in the middle, middle of the table or even higher up at the end of the season. So there is still hope. So, so that, yes. that is good. Uh, moving on, I think... When we have you here, we have to talk about Real Sociedad as well, because you're on the ground every, more or less every weekend at the Anoeta when, when La Real plays. And this is a podcast where we talk a lot about Real Sociedad yes, for obvious reasons, because we have, <laughs> we have our great Scandies there. So it's, it's very big interest to us. But, but for you who, who are always there, who was there last season as well, uh, are, how do you see the, the season that Real Sociedad are doing? And are you surprised over how, how well they are doing? Yes, I have to admit, to admit that I was surprised by the performance of, of Real Sociedad this season because last year they had um, many problems. I did not play an attractive uh, football. This year, uh, everything has changed. The singing uh, have uh, raised the, the level of the squad. Uh, Imanol helps the Imanol Alguacil, the, the manager, helps the, them perform very well. He was, I was very confident in the singing in the singing of Porto, and he's doing well. But the one who is uh, dazzling is is uh, Martin Odegar. He's a, a well a, a silk football player. Uh, they, I think they will fight until the end uh, to play in Europe. And you already, already touched on it, but we have to, to ask you about local, about our locals or the Scandinavians <laughs> in, uh, in, in La Real and, and see what is your, how, how do you see Odegaard, as you already talked a little bit about, but as well Alexander Isak, and how do you feel that they have adapted into the team? 
Yeah, uh, two great players. Uh, Odegar is the the team's best player, along with Oyarzabal, uh, a high uh, quality player uh, who organized the attack team. Uh, she sets uh, he sets the the pace of the team. Uh, spectacular left foot. I, uh, Isaac, I never come across uh, Isaac and he's a striker that I, that I like. He's very fast. Uh, he suits with the book uh, with both legs. Uh, he has scored important goals like the one he did against Barcelona. Isaac has a problem and the problem is called uh, William Jose. Uh, La Real plays with uh, only one striker and that position currently belongs to, to William Jose. And uh, from the, the view of, of the locals in, in San Sebastian, the Real Sociedad fans, where, what level do, do these two players stand? Like, for example, Odegaard, is he seen as the big star of the team now? Or is it still more Oyar Zabal, who is the, the local hero? Another uh, difficult question. Both are the top stars. Uh, difficult to choose one over the other. In, in addition, they, they connect very well in the, in the pitch. Uh, two young players with a wonderful uh, future uh, ahead. If they follow the, the progression in two or three or, or four years, they, they could be among the best players in the world or one of the best players in the world. If I have to choose, uh, I still like Oyarzabal more. Uh, he's slightly uh, better every day and, and participates more in in the game. But, but Odegaard is, is, a, is a star. And uh, if we talk about Alexander Isak, he's been, as you said, been doing really well. I think he's scored until this week and he scored in, in three consecutive games for, for La Real. But he's not in the starting 11. Uh, do, is there a feeling that he should maybe get more chances of playing from the start from, from the local fans? Or is Villain Jose is too good? William Jose is still above uh, Isaac. Uh, he's more uh, of a clinical striker and his contribution to the team is so substantial. Uh, he has scored more than 10 goals in recent seasons at Real Sociedad and he's still the starting striker uh, for Imanol, right for now. But Isaac is, I think, uh, Isaac is helping uh, William Jose to be better. Uh, his competition is great and William uh, has to do very, very well so as not to lose uh, his place. Uh, Isaac uh, has played again good games against uh, teams like Barcelona and, and Atletico de Madrid. And he's a player that supporters really like. Is there any possibility of seeing them playing together, do you think, William Jose and Isaac? Right now, no, because uh, Real Sociedad and Imanol Alguacil uh, plays with only one striker, uh, only in... in critical situation during the match, maybe uh, we can uh, look together in the attack of Real Sociedad. Uh, and since I, I have you here, we should also touch shortly a little bit on Eibar, which is another team where you go a lot because of those who don't know the graphics of Spain, Eibar and San Sebastian is very, very close. So so you're also the one who do the Eibar games. Um and it feels like this season, Abar have been struggling a bit more than they have been the previous seasons. Is would you say there is any reason to to worry for Abar of of a potential relegation battle? I think yes. Abar supporters must be concerned, but I think it is normal. It is a, a humble team for a very very small city, uh, small city, only uh, uh, twenty seven thousand uh, people in 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 Abar. It is expected for every year to to struggle to to remain in La Liga. It's not logical that they always achieve their goals 
uh, with easy. It has a lot of merit what they do every year. They have lost important players this summer, like Ruben Peña, Joan Jordan, and Cucurella, and the, the singing have not yet connected with the squad. I trust that Mendilibar get achieved it again. It's a very, very brave team, which has a Ipurua, as do you know, as their secret weapon. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive to see what Eibar have done and how they've managed to stay up in the Liga for, for this amount of time. I don't think a lot of people expected that when they came up. But it's been, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Dani, and I think we got a lot of, of great insight from, from someone who really knows what he's talking about. So thank you so much for taking your time, especially on a day like this. Um, it's, it's really been, been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, pleasure is mine. Uh, see, you so, see you soon uh, here in Guipúzcoa, uh, seeing Real Sociedad and Eibar, Alex. <laughs> of course. And that's a wrap. It's been lovely chatting to both Semra and Dani today. Uh, about all things around Spanish football. I ho hope you enjoyed it as much as I have had. Uh, we'll be back next week and probably Lee will be back with me then. Uh, but just before I end this, I also want to give a shout out and a big thanks to Kevin uh, Kevin Bader, who's helped editing this episode, uh, which we are super grateful for. And to everyone who speaks Swedish or are Swedish, please check out his podcast, which is Klacken.nu, and it's really good. Um, he's also blogging on Fotbollskanalen uh, and is an expert on everything with German football. So please check him out as well. And a big thanks to you, Kevin. Thanks to Semra and Danny for taking their time uh, today and speaking to me. And that's a wrap. Ciao, ciao.